BeastNet is brought to you by James Safety Services and in partnership with Beast OCR. Here we discuss all things OCR and fitness related, running, endurance, conditioning, rucking, and more. Welcome to BeastNet. Hey everybody, Brother Box here with BeastNet checking in today. We've got Rebecca Hammond talking to us about her venture into OCR and her OCR consultation and coaching. So we'll go ahead and let her introduce herself and tell us who she is, what she's about, how she got to here. And then we'll go into some more depth with uh, coaching and maybe talk a little bit about the million dollar mile. Cool. Well, thanks so much for introducing me. I'm happy to be here today. My name is Rebecca Hammond. I started OCR in the second half of 2018 while I was um, studying to get my MD from Harvard Medical School. Um, And now I've graduated med school. Um, I'm taking, I've taken one year off, um, definitely probably will go two years off before pursuing further medical education so that I can have time to do this sport, which is turns out to be super awesome. So 2019 was a great year for OCR in general. Um, we saw a lot of a lot of involvement with the OCR World Championships and Spartan expanding their championship series. And in 2020, they're expanding it even further. Um, how was 2019 for you as a racer? Yeah, so 2019, I went into 2019 with pretty high hopes because um, I had started, I just like, started OCR in the second half of 2018 and um, did really well. And then thought that, oh my gosh, like next year, 2019, I'll have a little bit more time to dedicate to this because my last year of medical school will be less, um, like less work than the third year. And uh, then I would be graduated. And so I had really high hopes and then I got an injury, which put me out for most of the season. And Yeah, I mean, I I did well in spite of it. I'm pretty proud of how I did, but um, I didn't have the same fitness that I had in 2018, just because that injury really kind of put me back a bit. Yeah, I saw late in the season there that you started uh, showing up at at a lot of the East Coast races and uh, started making your mark known that uh, that you were coming back for 2020. Yeah. So the main reason that we brought you on is you've uh, you've gone out and started doing some some OCR consultation and coaching. What did, what made you decide to go that route this year? Yeah. So um, I initially started, so I, if I, if I get further medical education, I'll probably go into psychiatry and that's because the human mind is my intellectual passion and um, human behavior like fascinates me and how the mind works really interests me. So I figured like, Oh, like before I go into um, further medical training, maybe I could be, like a life, something like a life coach, like a life consultant type thing. And so I put out a little feeler on my Instagram just to see what it would drum up. I just said like, Hey, like win a free 25 minute chat with me and, um, you know, comment with what you would be interested in talking to me about. And I mean, you know, lo and behold, surprise, surprise. Um, everybody wanted to know about, um, like athletic stuff, how to improve their OCR game, um, how to change their training, uh, how to improve their nutrition, uh, what they're, you know, what they can do to step up their game and make age group podium, et cetera. And so after that, like I talked to under 10 people, but you know, still quite a few, I talked to like seven people and, um, it was super fun talking to them. And I like sent them follow-up emails with like concrete steps for how to change their training. And I feel like that was 
pretty helpful for them. And it was also really fun for me and rewarding because I could like, just in talking to them, I could hear um, what these people were doing and like, and also why they were doing what they were doing. Because if, you know, if somebody's only training once a week, but the reason they're doing that is because they just, they like really, they're like a working, you know, two jobs and have a baby at home, then you can't just tell them to suddenly train more. You have to find ways that work with them. And so um, it was really fun to kind of problem solve with, uh, people and figure out how to how to really make their training more effective, use their time more effectively while they're training, and for some people how to um, help them you know build motivation to get that training in because if you know it's it's one thing to have a plan and it's another thing to execute it. So yeah, that that's kind of why how I came to that. And um, I'm thinking you know I thought for a while like maybe I'd do coaching, but a lot of like, I feel like I can help people quite a bit, just kind of consulting them. Cause some of the people I talked to had uh, personal trainers already. They had people who were, you know, would work with them on a regular basis. And so for those people, the the most helpful thing I could do was just to kind of like, like say like, this is what you should focus on. Here's sort of a program that you can follow with your trainer. And yeah, so that's, that brought me to here and I'm, I'm pretty excited to, um, to do it. It's really fun. It's really fun for me. And I think I, I think that it's quite useful for the client. Well, I, I think you're right there because the, the part that you're getting at, I think, at, with the consulting is that a lot of people, even if they have a, a personal coach, they can not have the motivational side of it where they're able to overcome those those personal objections where it's mind over matter at that point where their mind is stopping them from doing what they want to do or what their goal is to accomplish and really some sessions just just kind of talking it through with somebody who's who's been there and done that can make a huge difference to them absolutely and i i mean i'm someone i don't know if it's apparent um given my instagram uh, personality but i i often have trouble with motivation i mean even on a day-to-day basis i can have trouble with it and so i think living through that difficulty can really like i don't know i think it really helps me to talk to people about this stuff because yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I've i had trouble getting out of bed in the morning, you know, and... Yeah, it's real funny. My friend who who got me into obstacle course racing and that uh, started this podcast, he's he's amazing that that he can get out there and he can get through and do some just real tough obstacles and stuff. And then when you get to things like the dunk wall, we'll stand there for 10, 15 minutes while he just has to convince himself to be able to go underwater um, with a polar plug. We did a polar plunge last week and it took him two and a half minutes of everyone sitting there just, you can do it, you can do it, you know, making making him uh, feel like he could do it before he could even dunk his head. He's standing there chest deep in water, but he couldn't put his head under. And it's it's amazing his how the mental game can just stop people on their track. Yeah, I mean, the mental game that your brain is your driver. So it's all well and good that you have this nice boat, but if you can't drive it, it doesn't matter. Exactly. So when it comes to, to the consulting sessions, um, I was noticed on your website, it said basically there's a couple of different lengths and stuff. Uh, have you really kind of sat down and wrote some guidelines on how you're going to go about that? Um, like how the session is going to be run? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I know that even just interviewing people, every time I talk to somebody or do something, I try to make some notes and something to follow. So I'd assume from the consulting side, maybe that you'd have to do something similar. Totally. So um, I have people fill out a little, um, a little intake form just with some basic information about them, um, like how old they are, what they, what, um, what their job is, how, 
like how I can help them, how they think that I can help them and like what their goals are. Um, and that, that way I can sort of um, ahead of time, like look over that stuff. And if they if they have like a particular question about something in their diet and they mention that in the intake form, like I can research that and be ready to talk to them during our session. Otherwise, like they'll ask it to me and I'll answer it how I can, like from what I know. And then I'll, I'll still look it up before I um, write their plan. Because as it is right now, the session includes, it's like the consult, the video consult plus like a follow-up email and stuff. And I've been um, talking to my like entrepreneurial friends and family members and they're like, yeah, you're not charging enough. So I'm like, ah, for now, like, you know, get it while you can. It's still, the email is still included, but soon it's going to be a separate thing. Yeah. So I, 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 in getting a little bit of basic information about the people, I plan out how I think this session will go. But as I'm sure is also the case with podcasts, like it's, you let the, I mean, like it's, I let the client drive it. Like, however, like it depends on what their um, goals are, how the session will go. Because a lot of times they think they need something, but then actually like there's some other thing that's the root issue. And so, you know, we'll kind of start, um, I'll ask them how, what, how, they're, how they're doing, um, how I can help them, what their goals are, and then we'll kind of go from there. And sometimes it takes a little bit of digging to figure out what we really need to talk about, but yeah, that's uh, that's a real good comparison there because I've had recordings where we start out talking about OCR racing, then all of a sudden we're talking about mountaineer rigging, and then we're talking <laughs> about industrial accidents. So <laughs> it can definitely go its own way. Do you like the BeastNet? Do you want to keep hearing it? Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more at BeastNetPod. So you've got a, a long background in running, um, track and field and running, and one of my recent guests, we spent a lot of time talking about how the running aspect of, of OCR is probably the most important thing because obstacles, if you're, if you're an elite or a pro, the obstacles all take essentially the same amount of time and, and running ends up kind of being the, the game changer. Is that kind of how you felt coming into 2018 that that was able to carry you? Um, into 2018, yes, into 2018, definitely. Um, but actually, just like noting, uh, looking over the races that I did well in versus poorly in, I did really well in the races where there were perfect conditions because I was able to fly through the obstacles. As soon as it got muddy and I started missing obstacles, those are the races where I didn't do as well. Um, so I can still like do well because I'm fast enough. And um, in Spartan, you can just burpee out of things. But um, like Jacksonville, it was super muddy and I missed two obstacles, and that cost me. Uh, third place by like less, you know, by like half a second. So I would definitely say that for the top OCR athletes, running is the biggest thing. And for somebody who, once you can complete the obstacles, then if you still want, if you want to improve and get faster at the OCR racing, then yes, running is definitely the biggest thing. That said, if your aim is to conquer OCR as a, as like, as, you know, as somebody who wants to overcome the obstacles, then you know, like if, if you're not about getting a fast time, like it doesn't really matter how fast you can run because you can run and walk and then do the obstacles. And it can be hugely rewarding to get better um, at obstacles. Do you like challenges that are fun, tough, and might use tacos? Head on over to BeastChallenge.com and check out our upcoming events, including Beast's 5K+, Plus, a combination of race and endurance event, and the Bucket Mile. Keep an eye on the Beast OCR Facebook group for event gatherings. For more information, head on over to BeastChallenge.com and the Beast's OCR Facebook group. You'll be glad you did. So with 
talking about running and talking about consulting, a guy like me, I don't know if you pulled up my, my profile pic, I'm uh, not exactly the, uh, the OCR lean, mean, cut athlete. And, you know, for me, for, for 2020, my goal is to make it through one race clean or be free. Two years ago, my goal was just to finish a race. So um, that's come a long ways for me. At the same time, I belong to a club up here in the Northwest, the East OCR Racers, and we have everything from, from people my size or bigger all the way down to um, Sarah Knight, Melissa Joyal, and, and some of our, our pro team racers that, that race elite and are you know, on the cusp of, of moving into Spartan Pro in the next couple of years. I assume that as part of the consulting, you said you're going to be working with people of all different race levels. Um, have you kind of made, made thoughts and notes on how to approach each different type of person? Um, as soon as I, as soon as I've like talked to a bunch of people, maybe I'll start getting something more standardized in place. But for now it's really about each individual. Um, and like, it doesn't, it's all based on what they want, like what they want to achieve. So if it's, um, if it's too, like, for example, if somebody came into me and said that they wanted to be able to complete the monkey bars, um, monkey bars, it, to be able to complete the monkey bars, what I would tell you really depends on who you are, because if you, if you are somebody who is um, like a tiny little person who can like, you know, whatever, it's just like a really skinny, teeny little person, then you're, I'm going to need you to really get a strong upper body. If you're somebody who's bigger and you're strong, but you're like bigger then um, in order to get the monkey bars, your strength to weight, your, basically your strength to weight ratio has to go up. And so that will, that what um, you need to work on is going to change depending on who you are. My answer is um, eventually I will have something standardized in place, but for now it really is based on the individual person and their needs. Yeah. You mentioned the the monkey bars and uh, my first year personally racing, you know, I was lucky to, to get up there onto the first bar. And then by the time I tried to let go and grab the second bar, I'd fall off. You know, now it's, days I'm, I'm counting, you know, I, I think I can go five bars before I finally fall off. And, and that's, that's been the grip strength, um, workouts that I've been doing and, and, you know, working on that strength to weight ratio. And I think that, that your approach of doing it by person is, is definitely the way to go. Cause you know, I've been out there and I've raced with all sorts of different people and there's, there's people that are so small, they can't even reach the monkey bars, yeah. let alone get across them. And for, for someone like that, you know, it's it's a little bit more of a challenge. They got to get up there on the extra stand. And, and in some cases, there's this one gal that actually has to jump off the stand to get even high enough to get to the monkey bars. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. It's also a huge mind game because a lot of people, there are some people who can do like monkey bars at the park, no problem. But then as soon as they get on a Spartan obstacle and it's a little bit wet, even though like even a lot of times our bodies are capable of doing it, but our brains just give up sooner because your brain is like trying to protect you. So it doesn't want you, you know, it's riskier for you to go for the next monkey bar and then fail and fall than it is for you to just fall. When I say risky, I mean like from your brain's like primal point of view, you know? So a lot of times you'll see like whenever somebody is kind of hanging from a monkey bar, they look down and they drop down, like that's their brain giving up. And it's not, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, wimps or anything. It just means that their bodies can do more. They can push more. Um, I actually have a lot of trouble with that with myself. Like I definitely am limited by my brain when it comes to dynamic rock climbing moves, for example, like that's a dynamic rock climbing move is where you have to kind of jump to get to the next move. And um, 
a lot of times it's like this little jump and it's like, oh my God, I know I can physically do that. But you, you know, take me three feet up the ground or, you know, five feet off the ground and I suddenly just can't do it. And that's a brain limitation. So it's, um, or a mental limitation. So it can be, it's like really rewarding to work through those because, um, because it's just your mind holding you back. You don't even have to get stronger to get better. You just have to practice over and over and over again with baby little steps and you can just improve so quickly when you do it right. It's funny that you bring up dynamic the, the dy- dynamic rock climbing moves. Just watched uh, Mission Impossible 2 where they open that up with, with Tom Cruise. That's all he's doing is like jumping from one to another up on the, the cliff a thousand feet in the air. And uh, and you talk about doing that. And, and, you know, I see the guys doing it when we're out uh, at the rock climbing and they're doing it. You know, in most cases, a few feet off the ground, because out here I haven't gone to any real big rock climbing places. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, you think about that, people can actually do what they showed on that movie. I mean, it, it happens all the time um, with people who do parkour and stuff, where you just look at it and you're like, how does the human body even do that? And most of parkour, um, aside from being fit, it's that, that mental stuff. You know, the dynamic movements, it's the mental, you can do this, and it's it's not going to be your mind holding you back just because you're afraid of jumping from run one rooftop to another. Totally. And a lot of times you kind of got to shut off your brain, <laughs> which can be hard. Yeah, that's uh, pretty Mike, the other guy that's on the show a lot. Uh, he always gives me a lot of crap because I, I run at everything headstrong. I'm just, I don't think about it. It doesn't matter. And then I turn around and go, crap, I did that. Well, he's still sitting there looking at me like you're crazy. As where he, he lets his mind play. And that's like I was talking about with the, the dunk wall and anything where his head has to go underwater that he can't see the bottom. It's amazing because I just go and splash down. I'm up, I'm under, and I'm going up the, the rolling hills. Or, you know, other times I'm I'm running, I'm running. And my favorite was the, the Arctic em- enema at Tough Mudder because... Not only are you going under a dunk wall, you're doing it in ice water. And and the longer you stand there and think about it, the more your legs are, are hating you. And and that mental game for, for him can be quite a challenge. I think we we're that was another one we were at the wall for probably fifteen minutes while they were turning into ice cubes. Wow. Does he do stuff like does he go into a pool or even the bathtub and just practice putting his head under, like over and over again? It is specifically anything where he cannot see the bottom. So he can go in the tub. He can go in the, the pool. I mean, he used to be a scuba diver. Wow. But it's, it's when he cannot see the bottom that he just shuts down and stands there. He, he almost just shuts down like a deer in headlights. And, and it takes a lot of encouragement to get him through it. This year, I've been... I've been taking over uh, leading a lot of workouts of the day for our club up here, and I'm going to have to figure out how to get some form of dunk wall into our training for, for late spring, early summer, just to get him more practiced at it so he can get through it quicker. Yeah, find a dirty pond or something where you can't see the bottom. Yeah, there's a lot of those around here, so as long as there's not leeches, we're happy, right? Or, or pesticides. You got to check. It's not like a drainage ditch. That's yeah, funny. I, I remember... Uh, my mother was telling me stories about growing up swimming in the uh, the drainage ditches next to the uh, next to the apple orchards. It's like, man, I didn't come out radioactive. I'm surprised. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Um... 
like what you hear, make sure and subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're using YouTube, please click the little red subscribe icon, then click the little bell for notifications of future episodes. And if you could, give us a thumbs up. So another thing that uh, that was interesting that you did recently back in, and I guess it was 2018, um, you got to, to be involved with the Million Dollar Mile? Yeah, that was super fun. The Harvard Hammer. Is that something you made up or... No, the producers made it up. They didn't give us the choice. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because I was talking with uh, Faye Stenning here recently, the, the Canadian crusher, and she talked about how she did not want to be known as Stunning Stenning. Stunning Stenning. And that's what they're, that's what they're <laughs> trying to name her. <sighs> so what was your, your experience with that show? Um, unfortunately, it was only one season, but... Uh, how did you feel that went? Uh, how was it being on set? And was there anything where you had to work that mental game? Um, it was, I mean, first of all, it was just the, a blast. It was a total blast. It was super fun to be out there. We had to stay up super late every night because we had to wait until the sun went down. And it was um, summertime in L.A., so the days lasted kind of long. We would film between 9 a.m. and uh, sorry, 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. every morning. And so we were we were on kind of a weird schedule. Um, and we would all like, um, you know, it's TV, not sport. Not It's, it's like they wouldn't, um, they would, we wouldn't necessarily know if we were going to run until sometimes like 10 minutes before we had to go. So we'd be sitting in this little room. Like we could see one of the obstacles from the little room. We'd watch people go through. But then we'd just be waiting to see if we were going to be up next. Because the producers didn't know how it was going to pan out. You know, they had... Um, they didn't know how much money people were going to make. And so they could, they could guess, they could like kind of match us to different people if they didn't, you know, if they didn't want to give up money or they wanted to give up money, but they didn't know, like maybe a, maybe a um, defender was going to mess up or maybe um, one of the runners was going to be way better, way worse than they thought. And so it was, it was really quite exciting to be a part of it. It was, because it was exciting. It was as exciting behind the scenes as it was probably even more exciting behind the scenes than it was um, in the show itself. But um, so it's kind of a bummer that it didn't do too well, but whatever. I, th- I thought it was it was it was an awesome experience for me. So I'm really glad I got to do it. And for the mental game, I guess, um, like it was it was nerve wracking in that it really was a race. Like we really were going out there running as hard as we could to try and stop these people. Um, and so, you know, like, you, you know, you got a little bit of the pre-race nerves. Um, some of that was mitigated by the fact that the runner got a two minute head start. So it was really like we were hunting, like that was really fun. But, um, for, yeah, I mean, I had to deal with pre-race nerves as one always does. You just kind of, I don't know, you try and be mindful, try and be in the moment because there's no use worrying about stuff. No, that's, that's very true. When you're, when you're out there defending a million dollars, you gotta just think about the race, not think about the money or anything outside of it. You just want to run as hard as you can. Right. Absolutely. So, in uh, 2020, you'll be back out racing. I know you've got a couple of a couple of sponsors that we should probably give a little uh, shout out to, uh, Enduralite, and what was the other one? Attack Fuel. Attack Fuel. Yeah. Um, so, being a, a sponsored athlete from them, is there anything that uh, that makes them stand out as to why you you chose to represent their companies? Yeah. So when I'm looking at um, potential sponsors, like the main thing for me, as it probably should be for any sponsored 
athlete or person is, do I like the product? Like, is this something that I would actually use? And then also it's really important to me that the company that I feel that the company isn't trying to like trick their consumers. Cause that really bugs me because I feel like I kind of see, I kind of see people as like, we're, we are, you know, we're humans, we're intelligent, but we're not rational robots. Like we can be tricked. We're kind of like a big herd of dogs or something in a little bit in, a, in, a, in the most loving way. We're like a big herd of animals, which I love. I love these animals, but we can definitely be tricked into doing stuff. And so it really disturbs me when um, companies take advantage of that and um, try and scare people into doing certain things or just get them addicted to their product, et cetera, to make money. Like that's disgusting to me. So I, um, I always go for products that I feel like the company is very honest with what they do and, and they're, they have integrity, like their, their intent is good. You know, like they're, they're really trying to um, give people a product that the people want. They're not trying to convince the people that they need the product. So, um, uh, attack fuel it's they used to be called mode nutrition they're, they're a new one for me and they make um plant-based products which so i'm not actually like i'm i eat meat and use animal products but they're they um formulate their plant-based products to be um like as effective as um, the animal-based products that are also available so that that to me is like pretty sweet because why not go plant-based if it's as good as animal-based um in general, like consuming plant products is better for the environment than consuming animal-based products because the carbon footprint is smaller. Um, and then there's so many athletes out there that uh, like can't have cow products because they have allergies, et cetera. And so it's cool to be able to help those guys out. Because it used to be that I was kind of like, oh, like you're allergic to something. Sorry, I don't really know about plant-based stuff. But now I actually, I have this awesome company behind me that I can um, help people out with. And yeah. And then Enduralite, um, is run by Matt Mossman and he is just awesome. He like, he makes sure that every single one of his, he reads all of the primary literature, all of like the scientific research projects and he knows his stuff. So like he can tell like one study is like teeny study and you know, it's insignificant um, versus another study that really means something. And he puts all of like, all of the little, all of like the, the um, substances that you've never heard of that are being found in these studies to really help people. Um, and he makes his products to be just like perfected for performance for endurance athletes. So like I use, um, Enduralite's like vitamins. I use their joint supplement. Um, I use their pre-workout and all of their products are just fantastic. And so I'm really happy to be working with Enduralite again this year. That's awesome. It's, it's one of those things that, yeah, you know, even for myself running the, the podcast and stuff, I spend a lot of time researching, you know, the people that are, that are asking to sponsor me, as long as it's not the the ones that are fed to me from Anchor FM. Anchor.fm is our host, and uh, occasionally they'll feed me ones where I'm like, really, we're going to talk money with Mesh Lakani? Okay, I guess we can talk about student debt. That's important. <laughs> but the other ones that the other ones that I work with, uh, you know, like BSOCR, GH Unders, uh, Base Layers, um, Grit Farm Fitness out of out of Canada. Um, Alice and Ty coaching out of Canada also, you know, those are ones that, that I've researched and the, the people that are behind the companies are, are great people. Actually, the, the guy who runs GH Unders just became the mayor of, of Hoquiam, a little tiny town over here by the ocean. So that tells you how much they like him. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. So kind of back to, back to uh, the consulting. 
Um, how do people find you? Where do they where do they find you to contact you for consulting? Yeah, so um, my website, which I just launched, it's still I'm still working on it, but um, it's up and running, is RebeccaMingHammond.com. So that's just my full name, R E B E C C A M I N G H A M M O N D dot com. Um, that's my website, and that there's a link to that on my Instagram profile, which is Beckham B E C C H A M M, as well as on my Facebook page. I don't use Facebook as much, but I'm trying to get better at about it, um, which is uh, slash Harvard Hammer. Gotta love Facebook. Uh, unfortunately, I'll tell you now that Facebook, uh, unless you're going to pay them to promote you, they actually uh, try really hard to to hide your posts, unfortunately. That would make sense. Yeah, it's really become, it's really unintuitive for me. I mean, it probably becomes intuitive if you use it more, but yeah, it feels that way. It feels like, they're, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it, it really is. Um, uh, from my perspective, uh, running what, two podcasts, uh, consulting on a third, and, and helping my friend with his safety business, um, I've found that most Facebook posts, if they contain photos, take about three to five days before they come up on your friends or followers feeds. I found that some things that have posts, if you don't have groups that you immediately release it to, that those like uh, like the, the podcast itself, when I'll, I'll put it up in, in Facebook, then I'll transfer it over to one of the, the groups that I belong to and you know, go to a couple of different places. And and it'll get exposed pretty quickly because inside those captive groups is where I'm able to advertise for free right. as where on Facebook itself, when I'll do like an Instagram post like this morning, I posted uh, about Dustin Johnson, who's currently running around the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I put up a picture about him and some some stuff on Instagram and I copied it over to the other three that Instagram posts to. And that one has 26 people have contacted it when it's a, a natural post like that. And, and after about a week, it'll kick up when it finally gets to the top of your friend's feed. Right. But but if it wasn't for the groups that I use to distribute the podcast, there would not be a whole it's, lot of movement. Like, I, I guess, yeah, Facebook is really weird because Instagram, like, yeah, it's messed up. They use certain algorithms, but at least, but like the algorithm kind of makes sense. So they, what they do, at least... Most recently, how I heard that they ran their algorithm was they, when you first post something on Instagram, they release it to like a small test group of people for um, like your, your followers and then of each of the hashtags. And they see how long those people spent looking at your post because Instagram makes money by people staying on Instagram and scrolling through and seeing advertisements. And so the longer your post keeps people on Instagram, the more Instagram wants to show it to people. So if in that small test group of people, those people spent time looking at it, then it'll it'll show it to a broader audience and you'll have a bigger reach and then you'll get more likes, et cetera. If those, that small test group of people like didn't really care, they just scrolled right through it or they looked at it for a second, whatever, Instagram's not going to show it to very many people. And so that's why like some posts, like, you know, you just get a lot of people see it and then other posts, like in, nobody ever sees it because Instagram puts it way down in their feed. Um, that's why. But I mean, that kind of makes sense to me. The Facebook thing, I guess because it's like a different format, it's not just people just posting random stuff. There's also like articles and all kinds of sharing things. Maybe that's why it's like more complex, but it just seems too like it just is like, oh my gosh, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it 
I work on on trying to understand it. The more I try to understand it, the more it drives me nuts. So yeah. I've just I've just decided that anything where I post like just a picture with some background to it, or you know, a small post with a picture, or an mm-hmm. Instagram repost, that that's going to take three to five days before it bubbles up on my friends' feeds. And then anything that that I need to get out to the listeners quickly. Um, you know, my my podcast belongs to a lot of different Facebook groups, the Spartan 4.0, um, West Coast Spartans, East Coast Spartans, all those. And and when it's an important message or something that that is time based, I'll share it into those groups and and it'll hit, you know, like the, the Dustin Johnson episode that we launched today. You know, it hit over 3000 people in the first few hours huh. and that and then the Instagram post that I po- you know, cross-posted Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook, that post, which was just the picture that I didn't share anywhere else, uh-huh. you know, it, it had 24 last I looked. I'm actually going to check right now since we're talking about it and uh, talking about how Facebook doesn't like individual pictures, which is it's probably because they own Instagram. They're trying to push you onto Instagram instead of individual pictures. I guess so, which is weird. I guess yeah, the, so the news a news sharing thing. Yeah, so in six hours it's reached sixty nine people, as where the other one has reached uh, thirty two hundred people in the same six hours. So it's it's just weird how that happens. And then there's another post that I've got going for a donation chain that I'm putting together for the homeless up here, and it's it's got twenty five people have noticed it in the first two hours. So with ones like that, you know, I know that two or three days from now is when my friends will start seeing it or, you know, people that like and follow the page will start seeing it. Yeah. And it's just been, it's been an amazing learning curve for me. Um, <clears throat> our, our running group is working on, on getting outside of the Facebook world and yeah. go, going back to the good old fashioned mailing lists. Wow. Uh, because that's the only way you can have your captive audience. When you put it on Facebook, Facebook buries it. It's like they're trying to kill themselves. I don't get it. I don't get Facebook, but <laughs> I won't try and get it right now. <laughs> well, um, you've got a you got two pages, right? A regular and a uh, and a athlete page. Yeah, that's always been that's part of why my Facebook kind of tanked because I couldn't figure out like I didn't really want my personal Facebook page, which I've had since I was like a child, to be my athlete one. But then every like I have like thousands of pending friend requests on that one because I just <laughs> I don't really know. It's like I, I want to just have my athlete one be the one that I use, but I like don't really use it because I don't really use Facebook. So it's 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 tough. Um, what you will notice is on your your athlete page, the one that's a, a public figure, mm-hmm. is that they they everything you put on there it immediately puts a boost button on it because it wants you to pay to boost your post and and that's the big thing that they do that's that's where facebook's making all their money now is everyone's paying them to boost their posts it's so and, bizarre it's so bizarre Oof. yeah so you know going the route of a, a standard website you know going the route of instagram you know you'll probably probably see a lot better turn than you would out of Facebook. Uh, I'm yeah. trying to find find other ways around Facebook. I'm probably going to have to open up a, a TikTok and a uh, and a Snapchat and all that because everybody follows anything that's under 30 seconds of their life. They follow it, I think. Even though we spend hours of our lives on these, looking at our little penis. 
screen. It's so crazy that we do that. Because that little phone screen like, screen, like think about the types of stimulus that it gives you compared to the stimulus that the world gives you. It's like so different, weird and like limited, but also fast. You know, I find myself doing it. I'll be out uh, doing a run or doing a doing a walk or leading a workout. And there I am scrolling, doing something because I have to keep my mind doing 33 things at once. I can't just do one thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> like I said, the, the show just kind of goes wherever it wants. <laughs> Generally, I try to shoot for about an hour, but that's not a real requirement. Um, is there anything that you wanted to, to kind of get out there to the public and, and just kind of some words of advice or encouragement or reminders on how to find you, anything like that? Yeah, I guess, okay, one, one thing of advice is – um, I kind of posted about this in my one of my recent Instagram posts, but um, a lot of us are spending a lot of time on social media looking at Instagram, for example. And there you are seeing, you know, people at, um, you're seeing people presenting themselves in a way that they want to be seen by other people on social media. And so that thing that you're seeing on social media is not something that you should be comparing to yourself um, is one thing. Because like you're not gonna you're not like posting a random picture of yourself right now because you you know you didn't get ready and stuff. It's the same with all those other people. So don't let that make you feel bad about yourself. Um, I I just just like looking. I, I try and stay away, stay off of social media as much as I can, which is hard because I'm like sort of entering a point where I'm generating income from uh, because of my social media influence, and so I have to be on it a lot. But the longer I spend on social media, the more anxious I get um, just because you just see people doing all these things and it just makes you feel bad. It just doesn't make you feel good. Yeah. I don't know. I mean like, and like the people, the thing is, you know, because Instagram, um, because of Instagram's algorithm, because they're showing uh, stuff that people are going to look at for longer. A lot of that stuff that they're showing is going to be, Oh, somebody's like ripped six pack or something. So like, it's just it's like I, I just don't trust it it's not like a safe place you know it's not a safe place to go and be happy it's a place to go and kind of you have to have your defenses up when you go on it yeah a lot of people turn to social media to idolize other people and you know they they see the people that are taking the perfect selfie or taking the perfect ab or in the perfect pose and and they idolize them unfortunately and uh and that's actually where a lot of oddly enough the mental health issues that uh, should you go forward with your with your psychiatric work you're probably going to find a lot of people with mental health issues from idolizing social media it's weird the like I, I get that like sometimes i'm on social i'm like trying to understand what why people like different things and so i'll go on social media and see what i like and i realize like i go to some profiles because everything is perfect and i want to sort of drop my jaw in awe at it like i want to see how perfect it is and i don't really like i guess that's like I want to do see it because it's shocking or it's it's aesthetically pleasing. I'm not quite sure why, but it's weird when I'm trying to think about how to how to like, where to take my social media presence. Like I I don't tend to post really perfect stuff just because I don't feel like I am that way, but also because I just it just seems kind of wrong a little bit. But you got to do it sometimes because that's what gets rewarded. So it's it's weird the incentives at play here. <laughs> And when it comes to mental health, it's like, it's not just idolizing people. It's also the fact that your brain is getting used to this really quick turnaround of stimulus of like a very particular kind of stimulus. And so now we're like no longer used to just like standing in a place, like feeling the air, you know, or like listening to the ambient noise. 
we're like not prepared for that. And so it just makes us all a little bit anxious, I think. Uh, it's funny that you bring that up because my kids, I, I take them camping and there's certain places that will go camping and there is no internet at all. And they just don't know what to do with themselves anymore. It's weird to think about your own childhood when you're that age and how different it was. Like, oh, it, it like sounds trite, but like it's, it's kind of scary because we actually like don't know what happens when people grow up like this, you know? <laughs> Yeah, we had, uh, you know, the, the human invention and, and the evolution of, of where we are, you know, in the last 100 years has changed so much. And, and I think that's, as a society, that's why we're having so many, so many breakdowns, so much anger, so much hate is, is we just were ad adapting and advancing faster than the body and the mind can handle. And faster than like regulation, like legal bodies or like government, which is supposed to protect us, can like think about. Yeah, it's kind of been a, a crazy journey for these people out here these days. And uh, you know, I look at my girls; they're they're all growing up, and and there's so many things where, you know, when I was a kid, you came on when the streetlights, or you came home when the streetlights came on, right? and if you weren't home, weren't home when the streetlights came on, you heard your mother yell. And even if you were a block away, you came running. Now, you know, I text my daughter, hey, why aren't you home yet? And it's just so different. We're adaptive little creatures. We're like cockroaches. We're, we're hard to get rid of. So hopefully we'll figure this one out too. <laughs> exactly. So it's been a lot of fun talking with you. Um, I, I really enjoyed this. It's always fun to have kind of a relaxed uh, session where we just kind of bounce around and talk about a little bit of everything. You know, the, the big thing is, is I wanted to get out to everybody that, uh, that Rebecca Hammond is now into some OCR or life counseling coaching. I, I don't know what all you call it, just kind of consulting. I, I like that that you chose the word consulting because consultants don't have to be licensed, right? That's true. And also, I love that word because that's my favorite thing to do in the world is to consult like my friends, etc. And I feel that I have the um, like the training and the ability to learn pretty much anything. So I, I like helping people out with a variety of different issues. Oh, that's awesome. Um, maybe we'll have you back here in a, in a few months after you got things up and running or get going on the, the 2020 season. Um, if you make the travel out West here, um, our group is very active at uh, both of the Seattle races, the Montana race and the Portland race, just kind of all of our home races up here. So if you come on up, Stop by the biggest team tent and say hi to us. Awesome. Hey, it was so great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast. If you haven't done it yet, find us on Facebook. Like and share the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. All these things will help to expand the show in the future. This show is brought to you by James Safety Services in partnership with Beast OCR. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you like to hear. You can find us on Facebook or at beastsocr.org.